Now, the wealth protection diva is a successful entrepreneur, business owner, and premier business strategist, president and CEO of Sage International Incorporated, and a national speaker, best-selling author, and motivational teacher of financial education, business development, and wealth protection strategies, the joys and frustrations of being a business owner. Her insights are motivating, her frankness inspiring. Here is Sherry Hill. You worked hard and saved diligently for retirement. Now comes the fun part, getting to enjoy your someday. The retirement you've been envisioning along the way. But before you do that, you need to have a strategy to generate income that can last your entire lifetime. Income that can weather inflation, market ups and downs, unexpected expenses, and yes, longevity. Sound daunting? It doesn't need to be. I'm going to ask my guest, Steve Ossie, an independent financial advisor based in Incline Village, Nevada, some questions that we need to keep in mind before starting to construct our income strategy, along with the building blocks you'll need in order to lay a sturdy foundation. So, welcome, Steve. Thanks for coming down the mountain. Thank you for being here. Boy, it's pretty warm compared to up at the lake, but we're glad to be here. Yeah, I'm sure it's quite a blast, but I bet a ton of fun because you're cruising right into hot August nights and so hopefully you're getting to see some of those classic cars it's a lot of fun indeed indeed i haven't been before a mic for a couple of years but it's good to be am i talking at the right end of the microphone right now yes you are okay thank you (laughs) you're a seasoned guy on radio so yeah well, I want to talk with, you know, the fact that many people today will be facing a much longer retirement. So you as an independent advisor, what do you share with them now? Well, retirement investing is a lot different than when we were in our working years, because when we're working, we're putting away money into our 401ks, we're living off of our income. We can last uh, through the various corrections that the market will have and not worry about it too much. But if we have a correction right before retirement or in retirement, it's a lot different. If I had a chart, if, I, if we were on TV, I'd show a chart that in 2000, the market hit a high, of course, and we had the tech bubble then. And the market dropped about 50%. And uh, then it took until about 2007 before the market got to back to where it was. So seven years, arguably, of dead money. 2007, uh, the market then again head down, headed down in 2008 and 9. this time a 56% correction. And it took to about 2013 to get back where it was. Now, during that 56% drop, I had talked to many people that were drawing from their retirement income portfolios. And let's say they had a million dollars, a half a million dollars. And it's usually thought that maybe a 4% withdrawal rate is a sustainable withdrawal rate. If you draw too much, you run out of money. If you draw too little, the kids buy a sports car when you pass on. So you want to get just the right withdrawal rate. But if the portfolio drops 50%, as many did, now you're taking 4% of what you have left. Uh, You're probably having uh, an income of somewhat about half of what you used to. And for most people, that's a pretty steep uh, pill to take. Now, When we were younger, we thought, well, the market will recover. If I just sit and wait it out, the market will get back to where it was. But the long-term return for the S&P is about 6%, according to Morningstar. Not a lot. And if you're drawing 4 or 5% and it's growing at 6%, you probably won't catch back up. So you might be permanently locked in to a lower pay uh, level. You might have to sell the second home. You might have to downsize, in our case, move off the mountain. And um, so what you really have to do is protect against the downside because those are not just inconvenient and painful as they are in your working years. They could be fatal. Right. Well, but also we're living longer, 
right? And sometimes the even though we're living longer doesn't necessarily mean healthy. So now you have to add in all those unknowns of medical bills or serious chronic conditions. And of course, when you're talking to people, hopefully they're healthy and happy and raring to go for retirement. But as we know in life, anything can happen. So it's easy to calculate the dollars out, but how do you hedge for those unknowns? Probably insurance uh, for long-term care, for example, for the health issues, because that can always happen. Um, and most people are told by their advisors not to try to time the market, not to get out of the downturns. But as I say, that can be a permanent hole that you can't climb out of. So I do seek to create a portfolio of the best money managers, and the upside can take care of itself if we have the best money managers, people that manage billions of dollars, and they hire resources, uh, have resources, hire people that, to do that. Uh, then I seek to protect the downside. Now, I do it in a couple of ways. There's um, technical analysis, looking at the chart. It's kind of a visual EKG of what the market's doing. And at some point, uh, if the advisor said in 2008, 2009, didn't say, gee, it looks like this market's heading down and is not turning around yet, at some point, you should be able to exit the market. And I use technical indicators. And it's not foolproof. It's not perfect. But it can help. And if I can be out of 80% of the downside and be participating in the market 80% of the upside, I think I'm adding value. But beyond that, there are also products that will lock in gains, financial retirement products that lock in the gains, uh, protect the downside, and can, can provide a guaranteed lifetime income. I'm a fan of these because if you know what you'll get, no matter what the market does, you'll get at least this amount every month to live on, then planning is a bit different. You just live within your means of what your investments are producing. Mm-hmm. All right. This is Sherry Hill. You're listening to The Sherry Hill Show with guest Steve Ossie, who is an independent financial advisor. And we're talking about some of those uh, building blocks or things you need to be thinking about with regards to retirement. Well, the second thing we have to keep in mind is inflation. And how does that have any impact on retirement? Well, it it can have. It erodes purchasing power if prices are increasing. Fortunately, I suppose, uh, we haven't had significant inflation in some time, although we're trusting the government numbers, and sometimes I'm a little suspicious of the government numbers. But, you know, we're told we don't have inflation, yet I think we've all seen the um, shopping cart be a little bit more expensive when we go to... Costco or someplace. So that can erode too. And that's why people invest in the market generally, because if you invest in something like bonds, uh, they're safe relatively if they're high quality bonds, but they don't provide a lot of growth. And so that's why people who would maybe rather live off of bonds in retirement and have a safe, predictable income are forced to be in the stock market. And that's what's been going on. We've had historically low interest rates, so people are forced to be in the market. But the idea of being in the market, it is one way to potentially keep ahead of inflation. So you have to have a part of your portfolio in equities to try to keep ahead. It was interesting. I I had to go to the Social Security Administration yesterday for a client and after, you know, I was sitting there for two hours and I've read every single poster on the wall more than once, they have these big giant posters that says, My IRA. And they want you to invest with the government. I'm guessing those are bonds. Well, I think they have also equity funds. Uh, I've seen those with military personnel, but I don't know. I don't believe they have the, the best rocket scientists uh, behind those investments. I'd like to see somebody like... Uh, um, 
BlackRock, who has $4.6 trillion under management. I think with that level, they can hire uh, people that can manage a portfolio better than I or any stockbroker can. Uh, Stockbrokers are busy spending their time golfing with clients, having client service issues, doing a variety of things, Starbucks, where we we met. um, But the professional money managers can assemble teams of incredibly knowledgeable people, resources uh, to do that. I think that's a better approach, and that's the way you can keep ahead of inflation is by having an equity exposure managed by professionals in the field. Absolutely. Well, the, the third thing we have to think about, of course, is market volatility, which we experienced a lot of that, but now it seems does it is it stable? I mean, <laughs> well, the last two weeks the market has been in a trading range that we haven't seen since 1995. We haven't moved more than a half percent for the last two weeks. Now today, the S and P moved about 0.6 percent, and we finally kind of broke out of this. But after periods of very very low volatility and very a lot of complacency. That's when you can often expect uh, an explosive move one way or the other. The so-called fear index in the market, the VIX, uh, is a measure of volatility, and it's at historic lows. And that's okay, but once it starts rising, we could have a difficult period ahead of us. So I think that this period of complacency, uh, the market just doesn't seem to care what the market – investors don't seem to care what the market's doing. And that's uh, often when something comes up and sneaks up a black swan event that was unpredicted when something comes along. And the market's a scary place now with – uh, geopolitical factors, uh, the election. There's so many topics here. Um, yes, yes. Well, let's. Uh, I want to hit on this one last point before we go to break, and that is you. You hit on it earlier, but as we reach retirement, is really understanding how much should we be taking out of our savings so that we know it's not going to run out on the backside. Mm-hmm. Well, the number that's uh, – if you Google 4% rule, that's been thought to be about 30 years, a reliable number, but it's no no guarantee. And also, that was also based in a period where bonds were giving a reasonable return, and they're not now. So a lot of people think we have to rethink the 4% rule. And again, products that give you a guaranteed lifetime income might be the way you want to churn on that. All right. I'm going to continue this conversation with Steve Aussie, who is an independent financial advisor, and we're going to continue to talk about stocks, the market, you name it. We're on it. We'll be right back. This is Tim Nelson, Certified Public Accountant at Evans Nelson & Company CPAs. Tune in to The Sherry Hill Show right here on 99.1 FM Talk Radio. Sherry Hill is the wealth protection diva. Why should you do business with Sage International Incorporated instead of filing a corporation or LLC on your own? Or worse, using one of those $99 plus state fee sites? Well, first, you actually get to talk with someone who is going to work directly with you to develop a business strategy that is tailored specifically to the business you want to start. Second, unless you know what questions to ask, how do you know if the entity you choose will actually do everything you think it should? like protect your assets and significantly reduce your taxes. For over 20 years, Sage International Incorporated has helped thousands of business owners put the proper foundation under their dream. If you want to get started on the right business track, schedule your free 30-minute consultation today. Call 1-800-254-5779. That's 1-800-254-5779. Or visit sageintl.com. 
SunTech Solar Screening adds elegance, comfort, and privacy to your home. 352-9396. SunTech Solar Screens block up to 90% of the sun's heat and glare. SunTech Solar Screening proudly features Pfeiffer Screening products. 352-9396. SunTech Solar Screening combines expert craftsmanship, attention to detail, and state-of-the-art materials to deliver a precision fit of heat-repellent technology. SunTech Solar Screening adds comfort and style to your home all summer long. Call for a free estimate and you'll feel the difference immediately just by holding up the SunTech solar screen. Don't suffer any longer as temperatures soar into the 90s and 100s. 3529396. Senior citizen and military discounts. SunTech solar screens pay for themselves with lower cooling costs all summer long. Make shade while the sun shines. Call SunTech solar screening for a free estimate. 3529396. SunTech solar screening. Thank you for tuning in. This is Sherry Hill, and I'm having a great conversation with Steve Ossie, who is an independent financial advisor based out of Incline Village, Nevada. And if you're cruising around listening to the show, we're talking about the market. And I'm not talking about the grocery store. I'm talking about the stock market and things that perhaps you need to know if you want to be a smart investor, if you want to maybe hit the trends so that you uh, win instead of lose. So, Steve, let's talk about the market and what's happening, because honestly, unless it's affecting me every single moment of every day, I'm not in that industry. Sometimes I'm not thinking about it. What should I be thinking about? Well, I spent a lot of time looking at the market and wondering what it's going to do. The market hit a high in May 21st of last year. And then we went into this range where the market got near the highs again, fell, hit a bottom, and it was in a channel until just about three weeks ago. So for about a year, we were just moving sideways. And I'd felt that if we broke through the bottom, we probably had some ugly times ahead of us. And if we broke through the top, I thought we could then go on to set new uh, highs. And we did that a couple weeks ago, but the market sort of ran out of gas on that move. And it's been moving sideways today. It's uh, come down. Now, there are bears and bulls. The, The bears are the ones that think the market is going down and they bet on the downside. There are the bulls that think it's going up. And there are people, uh, good people on both sides of the equation, and nobody really knows for sure. Uh, and we tend to probably listen to those that agree with us. So, you know, am I going to listen to being conservative, MSNBC or Fox? I probably want to listen to Fox because I agree with those people. I don't want to listen to people I don't. So the same thing, I think, goes at bears and bulls. Now, Jeffrey Gunlatch, who is the uh, CEO of uh, DoubleLine, he manages $100 billion. I, I like to follow people that manage a lot of money. I think they're probably know what they're doing more than somebody who just writes a newsletter. $100 billion, uh, $100 billion uh, he feels that we have weak economic growth, corporate earnings are coming in kind of weak. They're beating into expectations, but the expectations have been lowered. So uh, earnings keep coming down. It's not a good sign for the economy. The uh, GDP numbers came out recently, and we're just kind of at stall speed. We're really not getting ahead, but we're not uh, in a recession either, but we could perhaps go either way. The market's very complacent. He actually came out and said, sell the house, sell the car, sell the kids. Oh. $100 billion. <laughs> And then what? Uh, well, go to cash and, and weather the storm on the sidelines rather than being in the market 
during this period. Well, if I've sold my house, I've sold my car, and I've sold everything, does that mean I'm thumbing a ride down the highway? I... Uh, no, you call Uber, I, I suppose. Oh, okay. <laughs> I see. Anyway, his point is, uh, lighten up. Uh, Goldman Sachs, they manage almost a trillion dollars in assets. They're recommending cutting back on stock exposure. They're concerned about the continued lower earnings. Uh, Larry Fink, BlackRock, $4.6 trillion. He thinks that the market has no reason to be this high, that the earnings are not strong enough to be at these levels. And even... Um, Bogle of Vanguard is thinking that for the next 10 years, we may experience maybe a 4% growth rate. So I'm pretty pessimistic on the market, although I will go into a market with uh, thoughts of where I think it's going, but I wait till the market actually confirms what it's doing. So we did break out, but we're stalled. Right now, I'm still agnostic on the market because it looks like we're not going to sustain this move up above the highs, and we may come back. And so I, uh, for most of my clients, on, I'm on the sideline seeing where it's going to go. Well, you know, and all, of course, the drama around Brexit. And I mean, how is that? Did it have an effect on our markets? Oh, yeah, a big effect for two days. Uh, the market pulled back two or three days, and it recovered where it was and gone on, it went on to make new highs. So it's hard to say. You know, the market likes to uh, climb a wall of worry is the expression. The market does relatively well when there's so much stuff going on. But, yeah, we know other countries will likely pull out of the uh, market, uh, out of the EU. And uh, that's going to have a big effect. Uh, and then this is always a opportunity for some geopolitical terrorist event. It's just a lot of stuff going on out there. But the market has done well at climbing the wall of worry, but at least in my opinion right now, it's time to be a bit cautious. Be a bit cautious. So now if, you know, someone like myself, I have a 401k, of course, that's invested somewhere and I'm not managing that money. I'm kind of at the uh, mercy of whoever that money manager is. I mean, how do I hedge or protect? Do I call them up and say, sell? What? Right. (laughs) Well, when you do, they'll probably say, well, you can't time the market. You can't get out now. If you get out now, you'll miss the recovery and so forth. But the great hypocrisy, in my view, is that while they're telling us uh, retail investors that we sh- we can't get out of the market, they're working on getting their computers as close as they can to the market uh, floor of the exchange so that at the speed of light, their trade beats the other guys' trade, the other big firms' trade by a few nanoseconds, and their version of long term is 12 minutes. So in the meantime, they're telling us we can't do what they are doing. So there's this hypocrisy. And I sometimes wonder why is it that they do that? And I think part of it might be is that if we're yelling fire, they don't want us in the doorway. They want to get out first and then uh, let us get out afterwards and buy what they have. The other part of the market probably is is that we don't make money in this industry while you're sitting on the sidelines in cash. So let's stay in there and let's keep invested for the long term. But the long term, uh, you know, a lot of my clients don't buy green bananas because they're just not sure they have enough time for those to develop. And a crash in retirement is probably irrecoverable. Absolutely. This is Sherry Hill. You're listening to The Sherry Hill Show with guest Steve Aussie, who is an independent financial advisor based up in Incline Village, Nevada. And we're just having a conversation about the market in general. And, you know, you hit it on the head. If I'm someone approaching retirement age, I mean, how much more volatility can I survive? So what are some of the things that, I mean, you live this world. What are, I'm not going to read every newsletter. I'm not going to be tapped into these billion dollar asset managers that you're tapped into. How does the, you know, average Joe or Jolene out here play the game. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're completely on your own, if you're a, a vanguard or a investor that's doing your own thing, I think one thing you have to do as you approach retirement age, you have to reduce your equity exposure and have more bonds. So it's 
typical that uh, somebody in retirement age, the general recommendation is something like a 60% equity, 40% bond portfolio. And then what you need to do is then break that up. If you're going to put 60% in equities, there's different categories. There's large cap, small cap, mid cap, foreign, international, all these categories. It's kind of overwhelming. Uh, what I do, and I don't see done a lot, is I want to look, if I'm looking at mid cap, I want to look at the 2,000 mid cap managers and see who's near the top in terms of performance. Uh, Morningstar and others have what they call a quartile ranking. So we can see, compared to the 2,000, is he in the top 25% of the group in the middle of the bottom? So often when I meet with people, I offer to do a free review of the portfolios to see where they are. And I'm just amazed that when I look at a portfolio, that most of the funds that they have, if they have funds, are, are average to below average, maybe a few above average um, choices. So you want to get the asset allocation right, how much you're going to put in the market versus bonds, how much in foreign versus all of the other categories. And then you want the best of category managers to do that. And for a lot of people, that's beyond their pay grade, and they'd rather turn it over to an advisor. But you got to be a little careful because they're always saying, stay invested for the long term, almost never uh, tell you that uh, maybe we ought to pull a little bit of money off the table. Well, how does that work, though? Because, you know, there's tons and tons of financial advisors out of there. How do I find the one that chats with me in advance because you're tapped into all this versus I find out after the fact? Mm -hmm. So is that the difference of being an independent where you have that ability to chat with your client because you're not trying to give them one product or something? I mean, how does uh, how do I again, the average person, find that advisor that gets on the phone and calls me in advance of a market turmoil to go, hey, let's readjust your portfolio. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of firms, one conflict of interest is that a lot of firms have their own brand of mutual funds, sometimes named in a different name, but you don't know that. And I've. Uh uh, seen firms that had uh, the whole portfolio was full of their brand name funds. And is that because they're the best performers? No, of course not. It's because they make more money when they're managing the money rather than uh, having an outside manager. So that's one thing to watch out for. But I think uh, when I got into the business, uh, I had a software company for 20 years, got into the business, invested my own account. Uh, when I got into the business, I invested mostly friends and clients' money. That's what you always do in this industry. They all want you to go after your relatives. And uh, I followed the company line, which is you can't get out of the market. And that was right around 2000. And a lot of uh, my clients, people I cared for, lost money. And that's when I resolved that the buy and hold mentality is just a dead approach. All right. Absolutely. Well, that uh, is important to find someone who is in the game too. I mean, I honest to gosh, this is no statement on anybody's education or experience, but I do a ton of networking. And I every single time I'm out, I meet a new financial advisor. And if they're over age 24, I'm stunned. And I keep thinking, how is it possible that they could create success in this bit? They haven't lived through any of it. And yet now all of a sudden they're the expert to invest or talk to me about retirement planning. I I don't get it. I think it was Shecky Green who said, uh, our business is the only business where a guy that drives a Rolls Royce takes investment from a guy that drives a Chevy. Right. And, and that's the way it is. I uh, I don't know if you know this, but the gray hair I have, I've dyed it gray and I've shaved some of the hair off my head because I want to look more respectful. Right. And my gray hair is, I've earned it. So there we go. I'm going to pick up with Steve Aussie, who is an independent financial advisor, and we're just talking about things related to wealth, asset management, protecting your wealth, as well as preparing for retirement. So we'll be right back. 
This is Dr. Travis Adlington, optometrist at Adlington Eye Center. You are listening to The Sherry Hill Show. Sherry Hill is important to me because of her wealth of knowledge and her willingness to share this knowledge. High-level thinkers have great vision, and they listen to The Sherry Hill Show. Sherry Hill is a wealth protection diva. SunTech Solar Screening uses Pfeiffer screening products. Make shade while the sun shines. SunTech Solar Screening, 352-9396. SunTech Solar Screening. Buying investment real estate is a big decision. Getting the right mortgage is critical. This is Michelle Holbert, NMLS 184194 and MLB 3723 from Caliber Home Loans. With today's extremely affordable mortgage interest rates, you have the opportunity to step into what could be your best investment purchase of a lifetime. When you find the right property at the right price, you'll need to be pre-approved for your mortgage to lock in your deal with the seller. Caliber Home Loans is ready to talk with you about getting a mortgage to purchase real estate. Visit www.michelleholbert.com or call 775-284-1922. This is Michelle Holbert from Caliber Home Loans. Caliber Home Loans, located at 6530 South McCarran Boulevard, Reno, Nevada, 89509. Equal housing lender. Sage International Incorporated sparks and fuels the entrepreneurial spirit by providing the strategies, information, education, tools, resources, and ongoing support services that will lay a solid foundation under a business owner's dream. If you're thinking of starting a business and you're not sure where to begin, Sage International Incorporated offers a free 30-minute consultation. Call 1-800-254-5779. That's 1-800-254-5779. Or visit sageintl.com. SunTech Solar Screening uses Pfeiffer screening products. Make shade while the sun shines. SunTech Solar Screening, 352-9396. SunTech Solar Screening. If you have comments about today's show or any questions, please email sherry at sherryhillshow.com. Every four years, politics and finance converge as Americans elect a president and investors try to figure out what the outcome means for their portfolios. A look back at history shows that presidential election cycles indeed correlate with stock market returns, although not in the same clockwork way that, say, the moon pulls on tides. As for the outcome of elections, Democrat or Republican, you may align with one party or the other when it comes to politics, but when it comes to your portfolio, it doesn't matter much which party wins the White House from an investing standpoint. My guest, Steve Ossie, a financial advisor based in Incline Village, has for the past 20 years been dedicated to serving his clients by helping them grow and protect their investment portfolios in order to maintain their lifestyles during their retirement years. So, Steve, thank you for being here. And, you know, of course, the news is, you know, we're inundated with all the political and everybody has their tax plan and all of this. But how does that really affect the market? I mean, you've been in a long time election cycle after election cycle it's said by the uh, traders almanac that the market has done better under a democratic reign now is that because of their policies or is that because they were frequently preceded by republicans and they're taking advantage i don't know uh, but right now i don't think the market's reacting too much to the uh, 
uh, dust up that's going on in the presidential campaign. I, I got to think, though, in my industry, uh, have uh, we're overregulated in the securities industry, and uh, a whole new wave coming up by the Department of Labor in next year, and it just makes it harder to do business. And I think the intent was to protect the small guy, but I think it's becoming to the point where it's going to be so difficult to meet the regulatory requirements for the small guy that many of us will find it not very practical to help somebody who has a couple hundred grand that will have to pretty much stick to people that have more money. But uh, I th- well, well, let's clarify that. So what does that mean? Because you would not be able to assist them or give them advice? So if I if my portfolio is $100,000, what do you mean by the fact that you may not find it beneficial to help me or can't help me? Well, the one of the things that they want to do is get it away from commissions versus uh, advisory fees. And that sounds like a good idea that I want to play a, pay a flat fee of 1.5% per year. But if you think about that, um, if we have a $100,000 account and we have a 1.5% fee, if I find a new client in that range, that means maybe $1,500 for the year. And maybe I get paid one-fourth of that each quarter. I might get rewarded for $400 to bring on a new client. And that's not a lot of money to spend the time that it takes to acquire new clients. So I would need to focus on much larger clients in order to uh, keep food on the table and pay the rent. I see. Okay. So while they think they're helping, they're really not. And so that's going to be interesting to see what happens there. The, the flip side is nobody wants uh, churning, which, which is what it's called, where the advisor, he calls up and says, we ought to get into a new stock. And you're always wondering, is that because the research people really feel that's a better investment option, or is that because he needs a condominium payment? So it's a tough thing. You have to find somebody that you trust. And I don't know there's a good rating services to tell which advisors uh, are doing the right job for the clients and which are not. Mm-hmm. So in the political world, then, again, it doesn't really matter. And as I always say, it's Congress that sets, you know, the policy and depending on who ends up in Congress as to, you know, the laws and everything that get uh, instigated, right? And so from your standpoint, you know, they can all stand up there, whether it's Clinton or Trump, and talk about how they're going to change the world and all of that. Uh, One of the things that I was doing a lot of reading of late, you know, talking about Kind of what Bernie Sanders was talking about, breaking up the big banks, which if you look at it, um, how that would happen or not, I don't know. But I do know under the Dodd-Frank Act that they started to require these banks to have so much in capital that the banks stopped lending money to businesses or investing back in the economy. So curious to know if anything about that's going to change. Don't know if you know that or not, but I just found that interesting. Yeah, there's some talk to go back to the Dodd-Frank rules, where I, I guess the idea of that was to break up the different sides of, of banking business and so, so forth. You know, I'm a free market person. I'm not, um, I'm not on the same ilk as Bernie Sanders. I, uh, while I think maybe we could have found somebody different. I'm in favor of Trump because I think, well, he's a businessman, and I think he wants to see less uh, government intrusion in the economy. I think, you know, one of the things why the market has gone well uh, for the last few years is quantitative easing. That's a nice euphemism for what we used to call printing money. It's not exactly the same thing, but it has the same effect. So central banks around the world are trying to tinker with their economies to try to stimulate. So we have that going on here. And printing money, people buying stocks, companies finding cheap money, buying 
buying back their own stocks. All these things drive up the market artificially, though. And it's gone on in countries around the world. And now we're experimenting with things like negative interest rates that, that happen in uh, Japan and several places in Europe, where if you want to put money in the bank, you have to pay them money. They don't give you money for having the... Um, keeping your money for you. In fact, in Japan, it was hard to find safes for a while because people decided enough of this, I'll keep the money not under a mattress, but I'll go out and buy a safe, and you actually couldn't find one. Negative interest rates, printing money, central governments are tinkering with what they ought to let capitalism just deal with it on its own because almost always, it seems to me, they accomplish the opposite of what they're trying to achieve. Hmm. This is Sherry Hill. You're listening to The Sherry Hill Show with guest Steve Ossie, who is an independent financial advisor based up in Incline Village, Nevada. And it's interesting you talk about that because, you know, again, unless you're in that world, your world of reading Morningstar and a lot of the newsletters and assets under management, uh, you know, we kind of sit out here in our own little bubble, our micro world, right? How is the market affecting us every single day? And I guess I'm not seeing any effect. I mean, as far as I would in my 401k, or I guess I would if I wanted to go buy a CD from the bank and maybe it went up from a 1% interest, they're going to pay me to 1.1. I don't know. But, you know, how do you really help educate the general population that the market and what's going on all around the world is or is not affecting us? I mean, what, what do I need to understand? Even if you understand the factors, it's probably hard to predict what how that's going to affect the market. But it is uh, truly the case that for the last five quarters so, quarters or so, the uh, corporate earnings have been coming in lower and lower. We're still beating expectations. Like I said earlier, it's only because expectations are lowered. We, we can't keep having this, and GDP is uh, starting to slide. We also hear things from the government like unemployment, which is uh, a crazy number, really. It's called the U3. It doesn't include the people that have given up in the workforce. So the 4.9% we hear that the government and, and you know having the government release numbers is sort of like having the wolves watch the chickens um, it does not include the people that have given up it's probably more like 10% and that has to affect the economy because there's not enough people to go out and buy cars and buy things at uh, retail and so forth and um I think the government's policy have been seeking to promote growth, but once again, it's not been working. All right. Well, a classic example is opening up the border with Cuba. So from the human rights version, you know, maybe we are not in agreement with how they treat their people. I don't know. But from an economic standpoint, I mean, is that a good thing or not a good thing? I mean, there's there's always more than one factor, Right. Well, I, uh, I, I think I buy Trump's line that uh, we need to keep uh, jobs onshore rather than uh, offshoring them. We need to have trade agreements that work for us and not have all of our workers go to Mexico or so forth. So I, I think those can have a profound effect on the market, and that uh, is a great deal of what he wants. Uh, it's interesting. He wants the wall, of course, to keep immigrants out. Uh, the Democrats don't, yet they had a four-mile wall around the DNC. That's kind of interesting. It doesn't mean a lot, but it's a little piece of a little factoid. But um, I think his uh, trade policies and other policies that he's talked about can benefit us in the market. we we got to get money in people's pockets, people off the unemployment rolls. we got to get them out buying stuff and not just flipping burgers but producing things once again and the government that that is within the government's control right i just read that venezuela is trading oil for food with jamaica 
So Jamaica is providing food and Venezuela is providing oil. So bartering, right? Because that makes sense too. You know, if you if I was getting ready for this show, so I thought, you know, I better go out and find out what's going on out there in the financial markets. And then you hear about all these other countries and other things going on that you would have no idea that they're going on, yet somehow, some way, they all seem to affect the U.S. economy. Well, I think we ought to learn... Um from Venezuela and others what a socialist economy is producing. People are actually eating pets for food. It's dire, very, very dire. Uh, America perhaps is the greatest country that's uh, ever existed. You know, maybe the Roman Empire, I don't know. But uh, why aren't we looking at what made us great rather than trying to change all the things that got us here? And I, I think that's a, a movement that we have to stop. I'm Politically, I uh, want to see Trump in because the Supreme Court has way more power than they ought to have. And we're going to have one to three openings on the Supreme Court probably in the term of the next president. And if those are filled with uh, liberal uh, candidates, uh, justices, I think that's going to change dramatically our economy. From just all of it, all the way around, is everything does have an effect. There's always a domino effect. So whatever decision is made in the financial, health, education, you name it, it has a big domino effect on the American people. Even at the state level, the whole implementation of the commerce tax, which I get why the governor wanted to shove it down our throats, and yet now the after effect, the reality of what it's going to take to administer, first even figure it out, is tremendous. And the cost and the toil, the work that I'm having to do to help all of my clients understand it, no one took that into consideration when they passed the commerce tax. And so there's always a domino effect. So we're going to finish this conversation and it's going to be something about the market. We'll be right back. But first, we're going to hear from my friend Rocket Tom, someone who helps me think outside the globe. For me, election cycles are a great opportunity to study human behavior. Whether they be local or national, the dynamics of opposing political views clashing among all walks of life and educational levels is stunning. To me, it reveals the lack of strategic thinking among the voters who steadfastly argue their choices and platform. For many of us, some series of events or pieces of information have become locked in our hearts and our minds and form our political convictions. Short of a lobotomy, there's little that can be done to change the minds of staunch supporters of any given candidate or philosophy. My question is about how much the elector is swayable by events and how many vote or don't vote based on the barrage of information in every sector of the media. There must be a huge number whose decision to vote and who to vote for is decided by what they see in the media and what influence their circle of friends can have. Hearing the same rhetoric and political slant over and over from any given source, must create an audience that can be influenced in how they vote or don't vote. Ergo, free elections are not really free. Too many turn their strategic thinking over to their favorite channel, radio host, newspaper, or blog. Then, after billions of dollars are spent attempting to influence the voting public, there's almost always an October bombshell that can change the political landscape at the last minute. How much does such an event have on changing what box a voter checks in November? What influence does a scandal or a tragedy have on keeping people at home instead of voting? 
Seems to me that those billions of dollars spent on campaigning may be beneficial only to the media's shareholders, and that's the price of free elections. For more information about thinking outside the globe, visit rocketom.com. This is Steve Aussie from steveaussieausc.com. Tune into the Sherry Hill Radio Show right here on 99.1 FM Talk Radio. Sherry Hill is fantastic. Thank you, Sherry. Sage International Incorporated fosters the entrepreneurial spirit by first educating our clients. In fact, we wrote the best-selling book, Incorporate and Get Rich, as recommended by Robert Kiyosaki in his bestseller, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. For over 20 years, we've taught thousands of business owners, investors, professionals, and entrepreneurs how to properly structure their business and personal assets to avoid the three flaming arrows of challenge, income taxes, liability exposure, probate and death taxes. Call Sage International Incorporated at 1-800-254-5779 to set up a free 30-minute consultation. That's 1-800-254-5779. Sage International. SunTech Solar Screening adds elegance, comfort, and privacy to your home. 352-9396. SunTech Solar Screens block up to 90% of the sun's heat and glare. SunTech Solar Screening proudly features Pfeiffer Screening Products. 352-9396. SunTech Solar Screening combines expert craftsmanship, attention to detail, and state-of-the-art materials to deliver a precision fit of heat-repellent technology. SunTech Solar Screening adds comfort and style to your home all summer long. Call for a free estimate and you'll feel the difference immediately just by holding up the SunTech solar screen. Don't suffer any longer as temperatures soar into the 90s and 100s. 3529396. Senior citizen and military discounts. SunTech solar screens pay for themselves with lower cooling costs all summer long. Make shade while the sun shines. Call SunTech solar screening for a free estimate. 3529396. SunTech solar screening. If you missed any part of today's show and would like to listen to the podcast, please visit SherryHillShow.com. Welcome back. This is Sherry Hill, and I'm having an interesting conversation with Steve Aussie, who is a independent financial advisor. But I want to kind of go backwards a little bit, Steve, and talk about that way back... Many, many years ago, before really computers, it seems like, or software was big in the world, you created a company, Flexware, that you ran for 20 years. So I just want to kind of hear, you were a business owner, you know, how did you figure out that software was going to be the thing way before software was the thing? I was involved early on in our married life. We've been married for 45 years now. Uh, and I worked for banks and other folks that had the wall-to-wall mainframe computers. And the microcomputer just came out. There was an article in a magazine called Radio Electronics that was a build-yourself primitive computer. And they would sell you the printed circuit board. It was drilled and had all the little etch patterns on it. But you had to go someplace and find the components and stick them in together. I built my first computer on the coffee table in the living room. And when I got it doing its first little loop of instructions, I felt like Dr. Frankenstein had given life here on my coffee table. 
<laughs> so I wanted to find a way to try to pay the bills and play with all this stuff. And the only thing that computers were used for back then were accounting software. That's it. This is before spreadsheets and before word processing. The only thing you use computers for were insurance companies and banks and accounting software. So over a long period of time and a lot of different machines because the industry changed uh, rapidly. This was before the Apple II and the IBM PC. I wrote a complete line uh, initially by myself, and then as I brought more people on uh, to develop a line of accounting software. And we were in the last year's, the Macworld Editor's Choice, uh, the premier uh, uh, top of uh, best of breed software uh, for the Macintosh platform. And um, it was a fun ride. We sold the company, made a few bucks, and we lived in Truckee at the time. And we had a nice uh, big house looking over a meadow, and I was then a day trader. And I learned what I know now in large part by trading my own money. Most advisors don't. They, they get into the business and they learn by other making mistakes with other people's money. And that can always happen, but I learned by making mistakes on my own. Um, but I decided I wanted to start a new career, uh, maybe not in technology. Uh, and the world has become more 30-somethings at Google uh, now than folks uh, at my age, perhaps. So I went to the uh, – wanted to get in the financial services business and uh, had to go to work for one of the people, as I kind of jabbingly, jokingly called – named after dead people. Uh, you know, Merrill Lynch, Pierce, Fenner, Smith, all of those people, I think, have passed away. Got into the business that way, as I said earlier in a uh, earlier segment, uh, invested my clients' money um, – endured 2000 and decided that uh, buy and hold is not where I wanted to go. But that's how I got into this business, started off in technology. I still love it. I still have, you know, uh, like to get the newest iPhone and play with all the, the gadgets. I'm I'm with the grandkids. I'm poking on the computer uh, on my phone just as much as they are running into walls because I'm not watching where I'm going. Absolutely. But you had that business for 20 years. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, you know, this is a business show. And oftentimes I, I bring on guests who have experienced a lot in their journey of owning a business just as something to share with folks. You know, you built it and you were able to sell it. What were some of the decision making or thought process? Did you go in knowing that you'd eventually want to sell that business or? No. Uh, I competed with lots of companies that had enormous resources and the most brilliant of people. And uh, we would go to trade shows like Comdex where you displayed your wares. Many of those companies uh, exploded in, uh, in internal combustion or whatever and went away. Uh, I did face the issue in, I think, 84, the Macintosh was a new computer, and it was a bet the farm move for me because we were in the MS-DOS world at that point, and we had a competitor that, though, had a great deal more head start and a lot more money than us, and so I made the bet the farm move on the Macintosh. But we, we did it. We Our intention was to be a big fish in a smaller pond, and, and that worked for us. We, we were the Macworld editor's choice. But uh, an IPO didn't seem appropriate, although it might have later, because I, I think we sold the company maybe in the early 90s. The bizarre evaluations for IPOs happened a little after. Maybe if I would have stuck around longer, I could have done that. But a Windows software company that was successful wanted a Mac, Macintosh offering, and so we positioned ourselves in that in that way, and we were able to uh, find ourselves a, a buyer and sell the company, manage that transition for a few years, and then went on about um, doing something new. 
Well, let's talk about managing that transition. So you had to hang on for a couple of years still involved in the business? Yeah, we were assured that we could stay in Lake Tahoe. Where I, uh, when, Along the way, one of my employees, when we were in Southern California, where we started the company, he said, Steve, I've just uh, gone to Tahoe for a vacation. If you ever wanted to move the company, I'd move to Tahoe. Well, that was a magic word. I was so ready to do that. And so 45 days later, we had a, a handful of rider trucks bringing up a handful of key employees, and we all moved to the West Shore and uh, made a lifestyle change because back then they had things called modems. And as long as you had a modem and access to UPS, you could be anywhere you wanted to be. So we had the company there. And uh, when we uh, sold, the company that bought us uh, assured us we could stay there as an autonomous division. But ultimately, it wasn't working for them. Had to go to Roseville. Had a four-year contract, but was able to get what I needed to do done uh, in less time and uh, take a handful of stock with me and do other things. Oh, nice. This is Sherry Hill. You're listening to The Sherry Hill Show with guest Steve Aussie, who is an independent financial advisor. But we're talking about his original company, Flexware, that he built and managed and eventually sold after 20 years in business. And, I mean, had you, if that employee had not said, hey, let's go to Tahoe, what, what would have been different? Do you think you could have been or done the same thing still down in Southern California? I mean, did, did that have anything to do with it? <laughs> Maybe not, but uh, okay. just enjoyed the lifestyle. Back then, I was watching this trilogy of 70 movies called uh, The Wilderness Family. They made three of them, and it was about a family that moved out of Los Angeles and moved to a little cabin on a lake in rural someplace, and I was just primed for that. But no, you know, quality of life is always an important factor, and there's a lot of people in incline today that telecommute. They, they work for a Silicon Valley firm, but maybe they telecommute. And that's a wonderful part of technology today is that you don't always have to be physically uh, in a certain location to do what you do to contribute to the company and to society. Absolutely. So because you're here, you're local, and of course, you know, the Tesla effect and all the things going on in our community, are you finding that um, people are wanting to buy those kinds of stocks? I mean, we're, we've been talking about the market this whole show. Do people actually pick up the phone and go buy Tesla or Panasonic? or? <laughs> Some do, but people that come to me, I think, rely on my advice on that. I don't pick individual stocks because uh, that takes a lot of time. And as I said, a life of a financial advisor is involved in lots of service and other issues. So again, the folks that manage a trillion dollars, I think they probably found somebody in this a country of 300 million people that's better at it than I. So I, I don't get into individual security so much. Uh, I rely on people that have uh, the resources and the research to, to do that. But then I manage the managers, making sure that, uh, like probably any CEO does, he might hire somebody to be the sales vice president or other positions, but then they have certain metrics that they evaluate their performance on, and that's what I do with money managers. Well, and, and also, I mean, you have a bigger... Um, result that you want to create for your clients. It's not just about what stocks do you own. You want to look at all of their money as how they're managing or are they diversified or where are they investing or are they ready for retirement, right? I mean, it's a bigger picture. Yeah, it is. And now, too, it's not just about the what used to be the nifty 50 stock, where if you just bought AT&T and, and GE and some other stocks, you could probably retire off that. But the market's changed so much, and that's not possible. And we've had so much volatility that we insure our house, our homes, our cars, our lives. Why not insure the one asset you can't replace? Once you're retired, uh, 
if you lose much of that money, you probably can't go out to the workplace and rebuild it. So you want to look at uh, at least give some thought to insured products where somebody with uh, uh, huge resources is guaranteeing you an income you can count, even if the account goes to zero. Uh, many products do that. All right. What is your feeling on, because, you know, I'm in the world of a lot of people investing in real estate, self-directed IRAs to where they have checkbook control over that retirement account to go invest in real estate or stocks or whatever. And I see, unfortunately, a lot of the bad decisions that people have made. How do you help people understand maybe you aren't the best uh, decision maker around your own investments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we're um, in America. We are, have the John Wayne perspective that we can do better than the big guys, and I see that a lot. And I see a lot of people pay for the consequence of that thing. It's also hard too. Perhaps it's like doing surgery on yourself. You're probably not the right person to do that because you're, you're just too involved in the whole thing. So a lot of times having uh, a third. Uh, third party that's helping you manage your investments who also has the experience is probably a good thing. But finding the right people, there's a lot of landmines in that whole thing because there are so many conflicts of interest that go on. All right. Do you, you know, like to work with, you know, obviously with what we talked about before, the changes coming down the pipe for financial advisors where more regulation and and so on, do you see that only the cream of the crop are going to be left or what's going to happen to your industry? Good point. Uh, besides the DOL, the Department of Labor Rules and Regulations, uh, we have, um, just like Uber is changing taxi cabs forever, we have robo-advisors where uh, you don't actually interface with a human, but a computer that has algorithms inside uh, managing portfolios. That, that'll be attractive to some people, perhaps millennials, but I think uh, at least for my client base, which is Retired folks, pre-retired folks, they're more used to having somebody they can count on, somebody they trust, handing over the fruits of a lifetime uh, career. And they they like that aspect, somebody they can talk to, somebody they can go to lunch with, and somebody who has their interest in mind. All right. So if somebody wanted to find you, where would they find you? Actually, if you just Google Steve Incline Village, uh, I'll come up there. My website, steveaussie.com. You can find me there. Also out on Facebook and LinkedIn, like I think all of us are. I do a lot of networking like you, and we met on LinkedIn. And, right. Um, I spend a lot of uh, time uh, interfacing and networking with people. And you're involved in your community quite yep. a bit yep. and, and all of that. Police, so. police chaplain. I get called out for coroner cases, hopping to try to comfort people in some of their darkest hours. And also as a ministry to the police officers themselves, which have a difficult life each day when they leave their family. Probably there may be a spouse behind not knowing for sure whether they're going to return home that night. Yeah, wow. Interesting. Well, a varied and uh, uh, interesting lifestyle, but, of course, one that you can do right out of Incline Village, so that's awesome. Thank you for coming down and visiting with me today and hopefully giving us just a little bit of insight as to what we need to be thinking about as far as retirement or pre-retirement or, for the most part, just go out and enjoy life. Thank you, Sherry. Yeah, I'd rather be on my bicycle most of the time, but uh, (laughs) there's other things to help people as well. All right. Well, all of you driving around for hot August nights, be safe and have fun. I'll see you out there in my Corvair. We'll look for you. The Sherry Hill Show values the role we play in supporting the economic engine driving this country. Small business, the backbone of America. 
Send her a message on Facebook.com slash Sherry Hill Show. And tune in next week, same time, same station, for the Sherry Hill Show. Hi, this is Peter Padilla, your host at Nevada Real Estate Radio. Our radio show has been on the air for 11 years, and you can listen to all of the podcasts at NevadaRealEstateRadio.com. When you listen to the expert guests that come to talk with us, you'll be better informed, wiser, and ready to go when you want to pull the trigger on a real estate transaction. Buying or selling, it doesn't matter. You need the advice from NevadaRealEstateRadio.com. SunTech Solar Screens block up to 90% of the sun's heat and glare. SunTech Solar Screening proudly features Pfeiffer Screening products. Make shade while the sun shines. SunTech Solar Screening 3529396. SunTech Solar Screening.